Today is May 20th, 2022. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Let's talk some boxing. Huge weekend last week. Jermel Charlo successfully defended and became the undisputed super welterweight champion of the world, defending three of his belts while securing the fourth and final piece of the puzzle that belonged to Brian Castaño. An amazing performance, something that will be talked about for years to come. Charlo cementing himself, cementing his legacy, pretty much stamping his ticket to the Hall of Fame, becoming one of only seven in the four-belt era to completely clear out his division and become undisputed champion. There was Bernard Hopkins, Jermaine Taylor, Terrence Crawford, Alexander Usyk, Josh Taylor, Canelo Alvarez, and now Jermel Charlo. If you haven't seen it, it was a sensational matchup, really back and forth action, similar to the first fight, but a little bit higher level, in my opinion, by both guys. I think Castaño stepped up his volume more, stepped up his pressure a little bit more, and Charlo mixed it up more, mixed up the boxing with the power punching, something I alluded to in the first, or excuse me, in the preview to the fight in my last episode, where I stated how Charlo earlier in his career was more known as a boxer. Once he changed to Derek James, the trainer, he started sitting down on his punches more. That's where he found himself getting more stoppage victories. This fight, he really put it all together, meshed the styles perfectly, moved off the ropes at all times, really. There wasn't many times where he was caught on the ropes uh, like he was in the first fight. Using lateral movement and really making Castaño pay every time he missed. Brilliant performance by Charlo. I just hope that he's finally going to get the credit that I felt he deserved years ago. We talk about pound for pound all the time. It's a hot topic in boxing. It's a mythological list. It's opinion-based for the most part, but I feel like you need facts to back up your opinions. And to me, I had Charlo on my list years ago in the top 10 because he was always fighting top competition. He wasn't a guy that was ducking. Like We talk about ducking all the time in the sport. In, in the 154-pound division, you really couldn't argue that Charlo was avoiding anyone because he fought all of the top guys over the last few years and took their belts. And he did it in devastating fashion. He did it by stoppage. And when things were close, like the Tony Harrison fight, the first one, it was ruled a loss for Charlo. That was very controversial, but it was ruled a loss. What does he do? He comes right back with a rematch, wins by stoppage. The Castaño fight, very close fight. Most people, including myself, believe that Castaño won the first fight. Judges saw it as a draw, which was fine, acceptable, very close fight. In the rematch, Charlo shows out and gets the stoppage. Makes no confusion about who the real winner was. He goes in there and gets a stoppage. Okay, there's a question mark. I'm fixing it really quickly. You have to commend this guy for that. He's done it twice now. And the other champions he beat in devastating fashion before the Harrison and Castaño matches also need to be commended. This guy is just now that he finally conquered everything, is now getting the credit. Why weren't we giving him the credit on the rise? There's Was there a bias against Charlo? I feel like there was in the media. And I'm talking about ESPN, Ring Magazine, all these publications that didn't have Charlo in their top 10. And not only didn't they not have him, you barely even saw him in honorable mentions. It was mind-blowing to me. There had to be a bias there. Is it because the guy talks a lot of trash? 
Um, is it because he's a little crazy? He says wild things. He might lose it. Guys even argues with his own brother, for God's sakes. This guy is a loose cannon on the microphone, but in the ring, he showed a masterful performance, a brilliant performance, and something that we really need to appreciate because it doesn't happen often. Like I said, only seven guys in the history of this sport did what Charlo has done, and it's taking place in arguably the best division in the sport. My personal favorite division it's not the deepest with talent. While there is a lot of talent in it, I would say the welterweight division and the lightweight division definitely have more talent. But what makes 154 so impressive to me is that all these guys are fighting each other. Every month, it seems, we're getting a top-level fight out of that division. We got Lubin Fandora, we got Zhu Goucher, and we got Castaño Charlo, too, all this year, within a few months of each other. You also have... Tony Harrison linger, lingering around. You have Jarrett Hurd. You have Julian Williams. You have uh, Rosario still in the division. There's so much talent that mixes it up with each other. That's the difference. Lightweight may have the most talent, but the difference is these guys aren't all fighting each other. Yes, we're going to get Cambosis versus Devin Haney. We got Loma versus Tiafimo. There are significant matchups that take place, but we're not getting Tank versus Loma. We're not getting... Um, Haney versus Ryan Garcia. We haven't seen these matchups yet. Whereas 154, there's no way, there's no real need to imagine we actually are getting the matchups. That's why it's my favorite division. We're going to see what's next though. Is Charlo going to move up or is he going to stick around in the division? The Fundora fight is there. The Tim Zoo fight is there. The trilogy with Tony Harrison is there. There are so many options now that he needs to in my opinion, he should just go for the one that's going to bring him the most money. He's already put in the hard work. He picked up all these belts already the hard way and won them all by stoppage. That's impressive. That's another thing that when you look at the seven guys total that have that have become undisputed, I think you have to put Charlo's reign, maybe not number one, but very high on the list. Um, for my personal preference, probably Usyk's run. Um, Bernard's, I'm sure, was very impressive as well. But out of the other guys, I'd have to say Usyk's was the most impressive to me. Beating undefeated champions and beating them in their home country. Each and every one of them was on the road. That is the most impressive to me. But all guys definitely deserve credit. Undisputed is not something that comes easy, as you can see. Because if it was, there would be much more than seven that have done it. But we're in a year, in the last two years really, 2021 was a great year, and 2022 is off to a tremendous start. We have unification fights and undisputed title fights. It seems back-to-back almost. Like this weekend coming up, this weekend, as in tomorrow, the 21st, seems like a little bit of a letdown. That shows how spoiled we've been this year. Every week we're getting top-level competition. This week, the matchups aren't as big. But we still have some big names. We still have David Benavides. David Benavides is taking on David Lemieux. That is on Showtime. That should be a fun one. A little bit underwhelming with the opponent. David Lemieux has been in some wars. I don't see how he can really last with David Benavides. David Lemieux is a come-forward type of guy. He plays right into David Benavides' hands. David Benavides is known for those vicious combinations, great body punches, Fast hands, power, um, just an offensive onslaught. He's not really defensively responsible. And let me take that back a little bit. He's not 
a terrible defensive fighter. He's just not a defense-first fighter. He wants to trade with you. He doesn't mind taking a few punches to deliver his own. That's why I wouldn't be surprised if Lemieux catches him with something big and maybe startles him a little bit, stuns him a little bit. But in the end, I don't see a way Lemieux can capitalize off that and win the fight. I think Benavidez gets a stoppage around six-round mark. Lemieux has been in there tough with some guys, but Lemieux is just not on the level of Benavidez, especially at this point of his career. Benavidez is at the top of his game. Lemieux is tailing towards the end of his career, in my opinion. We will see Saturday night. Upsets happen, but if this upset took place, to me it would be upset of the year and probably one of the biggest upsets in many years. Based off my personal pref- based off my personal judging and rating of these guys, because I hold Benavidez in high regard, I just don't see Lemieux on his level. But it should be fun. It should be an action fight. Both guys come forward, so I'm sure there will be uh, some entertaining exchanges. When have you last seen Benavidez in a boring fight? Never. Not only is Benavidez fighting this weekend on the undercard, there is an absolute banger, one that may steal the show. You have two featherweights going at it, both undefeated. You have Luis Nunez out of the Dominican Republic against Jonathan Fierro out of Mexico. Both guys were talking a lot of trash. Fierro said, Mexicans are known for boxing. That's where I'm from. Dominicans are known for baseball, and I'm going to prove that on Saturday. So we'll see who's right. I do not see this one going the distance. Both guys pack a punch. Both guys come forward. Both guys um, want to represent for their country. So I expect a banger. That's Nunez versus Fierro. That is the opening fight on the David Benavidez card on Showtime. Over on ESPN, there's a pretty good fight. Jamel Herring off the loss to Shakur Stevenson. This is his first fight back. He is matched up tough against Jermaine Ortiz. Jermaine Ortiz is from Massachusetts, my home state. And Ortiz is a very interesting fighter. I think he has a huge opportunity in front of him to really break out. He's kind of under the radar. He's been on a few showbox cards, but this is a big stage. This is ESPN. He's going against a former world champion. He's a guy who can switch stances. He throws uh, combinations very often, and he has a big right hand. Jamel Herring has the experience, has the jab, but I don't know if he has enough pop to keep Ortiz off of him. I think it's a really interesting matchup. Ortiz on the rise, Herring on the tail end of his career, coming off a big loss to Shakur Stevenson. So I like Ortiz in this matchup. I think he can win by stoppage, but we'll see. You can't really count Herring out. The guy's a warrior in and out of the ring. And earlier in the day, over on DAZN, we have a really interesting matchup. Probably the most interesting matchup of the weekend. You have Craig Richards versus Joshua Buatzi. Light heavyweight action. The late heavyweight division wasn't really getting the recognition it deserved. It's really starting to now, though, after Canelo recently was in that division, uh, testing the waters against Dimitri Bivol. Bivol has always been a name in that division. You have Artur Beterbiev, Joe Smith Jr., and those are the only guys that really get talked about, but I think Buatzi is making a name for himself, and Craig Richards is a guy that people need to talk about as well. Craig Richards, I believe his only loss at least of note, he might have one earlier in his career, but his only loss in recent memory is against Bevel. Bevel and him had a really good fight, Bevel winning most of the rounds. 
um, pretty much doing what he does to every opponent, unanimous decision through 12. But Richards had some success later in the fight, which was interesting. Landed some big shots, landed a good right hand that kind of made Bevel really turn up his volume, turn up his aggression in the fight. It definitely got his attention. I think this is an interesting one. This is a matchup where Buatzi is the guy with the bigger name. He has a lot of hype around him. He's a power puncher. He has two-handed power. He has an extremely good left hook. He leaps in with it, almost like Joe Frazier, like jumps into hooks. Really tremendous fighter, and his power is just unbelievable. But I think he has some flaws in his game. He does keep his head kind of in a straight line. He doesn't move his head very well. He gets hit with shots that he shouldn't really be getting hit with. He likes to trade more than he should. He hasn't ran into a huge puncher yet that can really like knock him down and end the fight. But I think Craig Richards is going to get his attention. Craig Richards is a guy who fights tall. I think he's about 6'2", but he really fights with his entire height, if that makes any sense. He doesn't crouch down too much. Whereas Buatzi, and this isn't a bad thing, he crouches low. He He varies his height, where he might crouch in on you or he might stand up tall, where Craig Richards is straight up and down, but almost in a good way. He, he does, he throws everything straight. He throws the right hand almost coming down on you, punching down to his opponents because he fights so, so tall. I think the straight punches of Richards could really give Boatsy problems because his head doesn't move. So if, if Richards can stand and trade with this guy, Richards has a good chance of the upset. If I'm a betting man, I would throw a little bit on Craig Richards. I think the odds are something like minus 400 last I looked. That's a little bit too wide. Richards is a very um, competent fighter, a very good fighter. And if you can go 12 rounds with Bevel and really catch him at points in that fight, you, you're going to be in there with anyone in the division. You're going to compete with anybody in the light heavyweight division, Buatsi or not. Now, with that being said, Buatsi does have the power, like I mentioned before. He could end the fight early. But I do like the chances of an upset in this fight. Pay attention to when they're at, at close range. I said how Buatsi likes to throw those leaping hooks. If Richards can close the distance and really kind of take the fight to Buatsi, I think that's where he'll have his most success. Because Richards likes to throw body punches, but he likes to throw them at close range. So if he can get up in Buatsi's pocket up in his personal space as I like to say if he can really invade the area and push him back push Buatzi on his back foot and see if Buatzi can fight going backwards because I don't know if he can I haven't seen it yet that's different things you have to see in a guy's career to see what level he's at but if Buatzi can overcome Craig Richards then you really have to start paying attention to Buatzi and seeing where he's going to go because this guy has the skills to draw, knockout to draw, he's an all-action guy, great athlete, undefeated, so we'll see what he can do, this is a really deep division that people don't talk much about, you have the guys at the top, but you also have guys like Anthony Yard, Lyndon Arthur, those guys are all in the mix at light heavyweight, so it's interesting to see what's going to happen next to light heavyweight, is Canelo going to stick around, because if he does, to me, there's some great matchups, maybe he can't beat Bevel, but there are a lot of good fights to make at light heavyweight. That about wraps up the weekend matchups. Four really good fights to look forward to. Um, but I think as far as the Benavidez fight, I'm really more so interested in where he goes next. 
There's been talks of a Charlo fight, Jamal Charlo at 168. Jamal Charlo has been campaigning at 160. He fights um, Selecki later this month, and he recently stated he wants to make the Benavidez fight for next year. So hopefully we get to see that fight. Either way, both guys need something big. Benavidez especially needs a big-time opponent at this weight, whether it's a Jamal Charlo who's moving up, a Boo Boo Andrade who's moving up, a Triple G, Canelo, Caleb Plant. One of those guys need to fight David Benavidez. He's a very avoided fighter, but just from being on Chicken Talk, and shout out to Chicken Talk, the best space in the world on Twitter. Shout out to Lefty, the creator of it. That's the best boxing space, not in the United States, in the world. People from all over the country, we get on there, spew opinions. Um, we get reporters in there. We get questions. Lefty has a great setup. But on my point is, on Chicken Talk, Benavidez's manager, Sampson, Mr. Sampson, I forget his first name, he didn't seem to have the best interest in making these big fights for Benavidez. While Benavidez is avoided, I feel, his management isn't making it easy for him to get to land these big fights. He is on record saying he needs significantly more money to fight Demetrius Andrade than he needs for Benavidez to fight Canelo. Saying that Andrade is such a high risk that they need the money to match it. Benavidez is saying, I just want the fight. So I feel like his management and him need to really air that out and really see what path you want to take Benavidez because it seems like Benavidez wants these big fights more than his management is willing to allow him to have. The Charlo fight, Charlo was the one kind of making um, excuses on that side, but it seems that's cleared up. He had the Mike Tyson interview. Mike Tyson was kind of telling him, you know what, you need to fight Benavidez. And I think Charlo himself realizes, listen, he's not getting any younger. Canelo seems to be on a different path, for better or worse, at light heavyweight and the Triple G rematch and things like that, where Charlo can't just wait around. He needs to make something happen for himself. Speaking of avoiding competition, though, Jaime Munguia is fighting on June 11th against a man named Jimmy Kelly. I don't know Jimmy Kelly from a hole in the wall. I can't tell you what this guy looks like. I can't tell you his record. I can't tell you his fighting style. I can't tell you who he's won against, who he's lost against. I can't tell you anything about this guy. The thing is, nobody can tell you anything about this guy. He's unknown. Jaime Munguia is a very exciting fighter, devastating puncher, real fun fighter to watch. Highly entertaining. Why? At this point in his career, he's 25 years old. He's in the prime of his career. Why is he regressing with his opponents? We want to talk about protected fighters. People talk about Tank Davis being protected and guys like that. We talk about Canelo's resume, Crawford's. Yo, Jaime Munguia is the most protected boxer in the sport. He's coming off a win against Gabe Rosado a couple fights ago. When he had that fight, and listen, I love Gabe Rosado. I met him in person. Great guy. Awesome fighter. I love watching him. But we have to be real here. This isn't a guy who's a champion. This isn't an A-plus fighter. He's a journeyman 
who can be a tough out on your way up the rankings. Okay, sometimes he's going to get the upset. Sometimes people are going to beat him. He has a lot of losses in his career. I'm McGee fighting him. Wasn't a bad step at all. I was very much looking forward to that fight. Jaime Munguia fought him at a weight that wasn't his best. And he dominated the fight. But after that, we expected Jaime Munguia to take that next step. Fight, okay, you're fighting Gabe Rosado, you got the win. Okay, now what's next? Since then, he's regressed. He's fighting worse and worse competition. Why is that? This makes absolutely no sense. He was a mandatory for Demetrius Andrade. They avoided that one. He was in talks to fight Triple G. At first, the commission didn't even allow it because they said Jaime McGee was too inexperienced at the time. This was years and years ago. Now, there's no interest in making it. Why aren't you fighting a guy like Jamal Charlo, who I just uh, mentioned? He's not even coming close. Not like he's not, he's not only avoiding the top guys. He's not even fighting the next level below them. He's not even fighting the David Lemieux or the Brandon Adams of the world. He's not even fighting these B, C-level fighters. He's fighting guys that you have to send out a search warrant to figure out just who this person actually is. Nobody knows your opponent. That's inexcusable at this level. This guy's main eventing cards, and he's going to fight a guy we've never even heard of? Embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Jaime Munguia, step it up, because at this point, I'm not even going to be watching this fight. In other news, in the lightweight division, we have Devin Haney versus George Cambosos for Undisputed, taking place on June 5th in Australia. Devin Haney uh, just got to Australia a couple of days ago, and about a week ago it was reported that Ben Davidson, his co-trainer, wasn't going to be able to make the trip. It turns out it's even worse than that. Not only is he not able to make the trip, Devin's father and head trainer, Bill Haney, also is not going to be able to make the trip. Problems with his visa, supposedly over a case that took place in the 90s. Bill Haney did say his visa wasn't denied, but it also hasn't been approved. It's still awaiting a decision. So in the meantime, Devin Haney traveled to Australia, and it looks like he's going to be without his head trainer and his father, Bill Haney. He's taken Yoel Judah with him, who is actually his godfather, and better known as the father of Zab Judah. So we will have an experienced trainer in his corner and also a guy who doesn't know him personally. So that's a plus, but I'm sure it must be tough. The biggest fight of your career in an entirely different country and you don't have your father. Not only don't you have your father, you don't have your head trainer who is one and the same. So that is a tough, tough task for Devin Haney. Uh, just another obstacle and really going to be important is in his maturation not only as a fighter, but as a man, going off on your own, getting things done by yourself without the help of your parents. So it's a huge opportunity for Devin Haney, not only for the Undisputed Championship, really to cement himself. I think he's 24 years old. Anyone older than that knows that you don't really grow up until your mid-20s. That's really the time where most of us mentally and physically feel at our peak. We may think we're men at 18, 19, but in reality, you're a young, you're a young man. You, you, you don't know any. You're wet behind the ears. You don't know much. This kid's going to learn a lot about life and his boxing career in Australia on June 5th. Can't wait for it. Tremendous matchup. Another case of getting undisputed. 
um, unifications. These are just happening so frequently. It's such a great time in the sport. I can't stress that enough. We're really living in the golden ages. People talk about the 80s. People talk about the 70s. People talking about, I'm sure, the 60s. There were times in boxing that really stood out. The 90s, of course, had some moments. The early 2000s had some great moments. But I feel like right now, from 2021, 2022, and moving forward, it feels like these are going to be years that are talked about for a very, very long time. And I think we need to appreciate it now that we're living in it. Because boxing gets the flack. We remember for years and years, boxing is a dead sport. It's a dying sport. We heard that on HBO days. We heard that also on Showtime. We heard that for many, many years. So when it's this good, this consistent, this much talent as well, young talent, we have to praise it. We can't just be negative, negative, negative. We have to also point out the times when it's amazing. Because right now, it's freaking amazing. Every single week, we're getting high quality. So hopefully this weekend delivers some of the same. That about wraps it up for this week. Next week, I will be back covering Gervonta Davis versus Roly Romero. 135-pound division in Brooklyn. That should be a banger as well. There's fights every single week. I will be here to cover them all. Subscribe if you haven't already. Give me that five-star review. But most importantly, enjoy these fights. I'm out.